What a joy it is to be here together uh, with all of the kids and all of these uh, families that are part of it too. And I just noticed here, um, I have to represent my row. I don't think my row got much candy over here. So, you know, I was right over there actually. So there were just a few drops left. I'm sorry to the rest of you. But I was just, a sense of justice overcame me. And well, actually in my role, one of the young ladies asked her mom this question. She asked the question, is this a Bible movie theater? <laughs> that is so good. I'm telling you, the kids are going to want to come back every week if it's like that. It's not quite that way. This is Easter morning, and it really is a remarkable morning. What was it? We read the story of Easter. There is nothing like it. There is no story like it in all of the world. It is a story of a resurrection, of a person who is dead and comes to life again, resurrected to new life, and he is indeed alive. But Christ, who was crucified, was crucified for a unique purpose as well. There are many religious figures around the world that die in order that others might die. We live in a world like that, don't we? This person, Jesus Christ, he died so that others might live. What a contrast that is to views of what religious people are like, that there is one who would choose to die in order that people could actually live. In fact, as we look deeper into the story, in order that even his enemies could live. He says, in the middle of his crucifixion, Father, forgive them, they don't know what they're doing. He died in order that others might live. And so what we have is a wonderful opportunity to be able to celebrate God who gives us the gift of his son and demonstrates his power through the resurrection. But I'm here to say to you this morning that it is meant to be more than just simply a celebrative event. Easter is meant to be participatory. We're actually supposed to be in the story, actually in the story. As Paul says here, we die, we go into the story, into his death, and we die with him, and we're, we're raised to life. We actually, when Christ is resurrected, he invites us to be resurrected to new life as well. And by time we're done this morning, I'm going to give you an opportunity to demonstrate the participatory element of this. In fact, I'm going to get an invitation for a few of you to stand up this morning and participate in the death and the resurrection. And uh, we will celebrate together what it is that God has done. It is a participatory event. Do you know why we know that? In verse 16, which I read before we got to your part of it, in verse 16 it says, we believed in Christ. Literally the word isn't in, it's into Christ. We have believed into Christ. It's not just a cerebral acknowledgement of who he is and what he did. We actually are invited to believe into it. And that's why there's this invitation to die with him death and to be raised with him because belief, Christian belief, is a belief into something. In order for it to actually be real and legit, it is participatory. And the invitation is to not just simply celebrate Easter, but to be Easter. As kids, when we had our, our kids were young, three little girls, uh, one of the things we did at night was we opened up the Bible and we told some of the great stories. 
was a picture Bible book, and kids could see kind of the different characters in it. And we decided that we would act the stories out. And so we would read a story, and then we would ask, who wants to be Mary? Who wants to be you know, Gideon? Who wants to be whoever it was that was in the story? And the girls always had an opinion about who they wanted to be. And so we had to do the stories over and over again. We might tell the story one time to introduce it, and then three more times, and they all got to act out different parts of it. Now, if we read the Easter story this morning, who would you want to be? I'll tell you, I want to be Jesus. I want to be the person who walks out of the grave just like this. I mean, what an incredible role to play in the Easter story, to be Jesus. Who wants to be Jesus? Absolutely. But here's the part of this story is that if you're going to be Jesus, it's not only the resurrection where Jesus comes out of the grave like this. In order to be Jesus in the story, we not only raise from the dead, we get dead first. You see, it's both of those things. Jesus dies, and then he's made alive. And if Easter is... Because it is a participatory invitation, in order to be made alive, you have to die. In fact, that's exactly what Paul was talking about here in verse 9. It really is the pivot point of this brief passage. For through the law, I died to the law so that I might live for God. Everything before 19 is a description of what it means to die Everything after 19 is a description of what it means to live for God. So let's just look at that for a little bit. Let's walk into this passage and look at what it means to die and what it means to live. And there's one other key word in this, and it's mentioned four times, I think three times in 16 and one time in 17, is is the word justification. The word justification is the opposite of condemnation. It means not to be condemned. And the condemnation here isn't a friend trying to shame you. It's a judge declaring what's true. There's no malice in it. There's just simple description of the condition that a person is in. The judge has read the evidence and the person is condemned. Not trying to shame you. I'm just trying to describe what's true. And then there is this possibility of justification, which is deliverance from the condemnation. And um, how does that happen? Well, we'll discover that in this text as well, that's about justification, and it's about death, and it's about resurrection. But first of all, let's journey, as it were, into death with Jesus. We go into death with Jesus, and there we are with him, called to die with him, and Jesus takes us into death. And when we die and we go into death, we have this opportunity to be where Jesus was, to be able to see all of the destructive things that Jesus died for, all of the things that destroy life. And we look around this room filled with death that we're in, and Jesus says to us, if you're going to leave this place, there are things you'll have to leave behind. You will have to leave something behind in order to go towards life. And Paul was really clear on this. He was talking to an audience of people who were clinging to things that you might think everybody should take with them. And he says, no, you must leave them behind. You see, they were very religious people. And they had bought into the law, not simply as a means of being aware of how flawed the world was, but as a means of being justified. 
My path to goodness, my path to life is the law. And so the Jews were saying this, listen, we've got the law, and um, even if you follow Jesus now, don't forget the laws out there and make sure you obey it. They said, we have the law. In fact, we keep the law. Um, well, most of the time we keep the law. Well, pretty much we, 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 we keep the law. Well, we're actually trying to get better at keeping the law. I mean, that's kind of the way the storyline went, is there is this law out here, and we're going to embrace it because it is critical that we do. And Jesus says to us, and Paul's explaining this, friends, that notion that you can strive and work hard to be accepted by God, that's going to have to die. You will have to leave that behind, hold a funeral for the part of you that thought the measure that God was interested in was you being good enough. That sense that I'm good enough is going to have to die or you will never experience life. Because that path, that malicious, that malicious sense of, of I am not good enough and I better be good enough it is absolutely destructive to one's ability to live and enjoy freedom that God has for us. I got to be good enough. I got to be good enough. And so the Jews were good at it. Friends, that was 2,000 years ago, and we're still good at it, aren't we? I, I just, if, I, if I just go to church more, if I'm just a little nicer, if I can be just a little bit nicer, then I'm going to be okay. And Jesus says, no way. That notion has got to die. I mean, think about it. We have this, we have this wonderful celebration that we, that's part of our church family. Behind the decor here, there's actually a baptistry. And it's a, it's a container filled with water. And uh, we baptize people. And there's just something really rich about that is a person stands in the, in the water and confesses their faith in Jesus Christ. And, and after confessing faith in Christ, they are dropped down into the water as a symbolism of dying. Gone is the old life where that person has died to the old life. And, and then we lift them up out of the water and they breathe new air. And it's this picture of brand new life, living in world that we never lived in before. It's this rich symbol of death giving way to life. Now imagine if we would just decide before that is we would just pause briefly after the person has said, I want to be baptized, and then we just take a poll and ask everybody, do you think they're good enough? You know, do they meet the standard necessary for us in order for us to be there and celebrate the baptism? Are they good enough? Does anybody know anything about this person that's not perfect yet? I mean, you'd say, that's just absurd. It's not about that. It's not about their qualifications. It's about what Jesus Christ did. And yet somehow there's a sense that we live with this notion, am I good enough to be accepted by God? And Jesus stands there, takes us into death, and, and, and shows us the devastation of that thinking and says, are you willing to abandon that one? Are you willing to give up on the notion that if you can just be a little nicer, 
God's going to be happy enough to say yes. Will you die to that notion? There's another one in the text, and it follows up on this one, and the Jews are quickly quick to point this out to, to Paul as well, too, and, and it is not only this notion of got to be good enough, we die to a view of ourselves, but we have to die to our view of others as well, and this is where the Jews had a hard time. They, they actually said, you know, it, the sense of of, of us as the rule keepers being in the same room with those, the non-rule keeping Gentiles. I mean, we're the saints around here. And they're, they're, they're the sinners. And when we get brought into death, Jesus says, you have to die to your view of self that says you're okay if you're good enough. But you have to also die to your view of others, it says, as long as I'm better than them, I'm fine. You know, you heard the story about the hikers. They were out in the middle of the forest, and, and there were lions and tigers and bears out in this forest. And these two hikers didn't know each other, but they joined up together, and then they realized that just around the corner up ahead, there was a big old bear, not an old one, a very agile bear up there. And one of the hikers just suddenly gets down, pulls out his backpack, and, and, and unlaces his hiking shoes, and uh, pulls out his running shoes, and puts his fastest running shoes on his feet. And the other hiker looks at him, and he just laughs, and he says, do you think that those running shoes are going to help you to run faster than the bear? And the guy says, no. I don't have to run faster than the bear. I just have to run faster than you. <laughs> and we think that about faith. We think that about religion. We think that about acceptance by God. I don't have to be perfect. I just have to be better than you. And Jesus says, that that has to die. Look what it was doing to the Jews. They had this sense of, I am better than you. I am keeping the law. You're not. And you're the sinners. The Jews were trying to distinguish, distinguish themselves from the sinners and saying to Paul, wait, if Christ's death is what matters and not my personal goodness, then it puts me in the same categories as those sinners over there, and I don't like it. There's nothing that will distinguish me, the righteous one, from them, the sinners. And, and is that the way it's supposed to be? And Paul says, according to Jesus, the answer to that question is exactly. That's the way it is. Every one of us is drawn to this notion of comparisons, comparisons that lead to divisions. If I can compare myself with you I can sure enough figure out some way that I'm better than you are, that I'm more advanced, that I'm more, more in God's corner than you are. We all take out the standard that works for us. If the standard is I'm gonna be, I'm gonna be really paying a lot of attention to what's right and what's wrong, I can put myself there and I can put others there. The sinners are right there. And then on the other side of it, I can say, you know, I'm the person that actually despises people that are just all about the rules. And they don't understand anything about freedom. And they're just really way, way, way too religious. And I can put myself there, and I can put those other people there. You see, we do it all the time. 
It's just built into us. To look at one another rather than to look at him and to look at me. Jesus is the great humbler. Do I need to be in the company of sinners like that? And Jesus says, come ye sinners, poor and needy, weak and wounded by the fall. And every dimension of the fall that leads you to believe that there's a difference between you and you, between us and them. And Jesus said, if you're going to experience life, that propensity to compare yourselves with others, that must die. What do we see here that must die? The sense that I've got to be good. The sense that I'm better than you. And there's one other aspect of this that has to die, and it is this, that I can do it without God. Because you see, I'm buried with Christ in death, and I'm raised with Christ into newness of life, and that newness of life is still with him. So if I'm going to experience life, it will be life with him. It's the only option out there. So if I don't decide to be raised with Christ Jesus, I will never be fully alive again. I'm still caught in my sin. And here is this invitation that God gives us to be fully alive, to leave behind death and its distortions, and to embrace Christ and his love and to follow him into life. What does that life look like? Well, we've talked about that some in our discussion of Galatians, and we'll be talking about it more in the weeks to come, but there are a couple pieces of it that we see right here in the text. What does it look like to be fully alive? We are resurrected into relationship. That's what it is. It must be. It's a resurrection into relationship. Jesus not only died and demonstrated that our sins were paid for, he died to live and to live in us and with us. It will always be about relationship. We see it described here in verse 20. The life I now live in the body, I live by faith in, into the Son of God who loved me, who still loves me, and he gave himself for me. I live, the resurrection is a resurrection into relationship. This is why the Jews' terror over grace was just so misguided. They thought that if there's nothing to pay, that there will people be, will, will be prone to a reckless life, to the promotion of sin. And, and Paul says, you know, you might think that a person who doesn't have to pay anything for life is going to do whatever they want to do, but they're not resurrected into anything other than relationship. You don't need restraints when you have relationship. It's life in Christ. There, are, there is no need for restraints when the guiding pull and drive is to go deep into a relationship with someone who loves us. You don't have to worry about that. It's resurrection into relationship. Two pieces of being fully alive. And the first of this, it means to be fully forgiven. Absolutely fully forgiven. God gave himself for me. 
and it was needed. We can go back to the problem of justification and the need for us to be restored, forgiven, uh, made alive by God himself because, because according to any legal system in the world, we fall short of perfection. And then there is this Christ who comes along and we, it says in verse 19, through the law we die to the law. I want to say just something about this, and I'm not going to take too much time with it, but oftentimes we think of that as a subjective thing. Paul dies to the law because it was so oppressive to him. The law was just so weighed me down, and I just, I, it, it, it killed me. But in this context where Paul's talking about with these people, he says, no, no, we had to die. In fact, we did die. It was required that we die because we needed justification and we had to die. Only it really wasn't us that died. It was him. So every time I say I die, I say I went with him. He died for me. I died. So anytime someone pulls out some messed up part of me, that says, you're going to have to pay for that, and I say, it's been taken care of. Anytime anyone says, you're falling short, and uh, there's no way you'll measure up, I'm going to say, it's been taken care of. I died. And I get to carry along with me the death of Jesus, being reminded that I can experience the life of Jesus because I died. Well, we died. Well, He died, and I got to go with him. And because I went there, I get to be here. I get to live fully forgiven forever. That's what the resurrected life is. It is a life of forgiveness. And one other piece of it, it is a life of forgiveness. It is a life of fruitfulness as well, too. Verse 21, which we didn't get to, talks about righteousness, and righteousness isn't a qualifier for relationship with God, but it is an outcome of it. That's what he's talking about there. Being fully alive means I get to be engaged in a life that is filled with righteousness, not because I earned it, but because it spills out of me because he's in me. And I get to live a life fully alive where my life actually gets to be an exhibition of what God cares for, a demonstration of the power of God, a capacity to allow grace to flow out of of me that allows my marriage to work, that allows my relationship with my kids to have impact, that allows my ability to live with a sense of gratefulness and contentment because it's a fruitful life. But you've got to die first. You've got to die First, we are resurrected for relationship, and it's a relationship of love. I'm just about to ask you if you want to respond in a physical way to what it is that God is inviting us into in regards to Easter. Because there are some of you out here who would say this, you know what, I know that's true. On my best days, I know that's true. In my most honest moments, I know it's true that I'm still living in that hole where I think I have to measure up, where I'm comparing myself with other people, 
where I think I can actually manage apart from God. And you know what? I'm a Christian. I've done this for, a long, for many years, but there are just some things I've forgotten. And I want to tell myself, I want to tell my body that I'm going to live out the resurrection and I'm going to literally stand up to tell my body it's true. There are some things I've forgotten and I want to be Easter. And I'm going to tell me and anybody else who's looking that he's alive and that's where I want to live. Some others for you that might say, you know what, I've never done that, but that's what I want as well too. I want to walk into death with Jesus Christ and I want to come out of the grave and I want to live in newness of life and I want to know that I'm forgiven and I want to know that my life can be fruitful and I'm going to tell my body that that's what's happening today and I'm going to stand up. So I'm going to invite, and, and, and kids, this just isn't for moms and dads. This is a decision we all need to make. Say, I've forgotten, and I recommit myself to being fully alive. Or I've never, I've never come to that point. Easter has been a spectator sport for me. So in just a minute, I'm going to ask you to stand up if you fit into either one of those two categories. I want to tell you what happened just in the last month around here. There's a woman who came into a relationship with a number of people here at Hillcrest, grew up in a very religious uh, setting uh, from the Middle East. Absolutely devoted, but devoted to what Paul says we've got to die to here. Trying to do the best she could to find her way to be accepted by God and loved by others and finding herself crushed by the system that she was in. And I said to her, you know what, You're, that may be a different religion, but it's possible for people in our world and our view of this thing that is popularly called Christianity for it to just simply be the same thing. And we find ourselves crushed by the system that we're in. And she was just struggling to figure out what to do. And in the midst of it, someone from our church came around and loved her and cared for her in a very practical and life-changing way for her. You actually have an opportunity to hear her story next Sunday if you're here for the 1045 service because this young mom discovered just last week that the empty hole in her heart longing to be loved could be filled by nothing but a God who would love her without conditions. And she was beaming in my office on Thursday as she said, he loves me. God loves me. And I've never known it to be as true as that. And she made a decision to give her life to Christ, to be fully alive. You'll get to hear that story next Sunday. But there are stories here. So here's what I want you to do. I'm going to give you the opportunity to tell your body, for your body to tell your heart and your soul. Things are different going forward. My question is this. Have you forgotten what it means to live fully alive? And do you want that to change? If so, I'd invite you to stand right now. While these and others are standing, there's 
the other question out there is, have you never realized that that's what Easter was about? There's a God in heaven that loves you and he's not asking you to be good enough to make it. But he's actually inviting you into a newness of life. Do you want his forgiveness? Do you want his power to live a life filled with fruitfulness? And I would invite you to stand as well. Jesus is risen.